Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol was written by Charles Dickens and was published in 1843. And the three adaptations we're discussing this episode are A Christmas Carol from 1938, The Muppet's Christmas Carol from 1992, and Scrooged from 1988. Yes, so um, here we are, literally doing the most for Christmas. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, If you're looking for more Christmas content, we are coming out with a special Patreon-exclusive episode where we're watching three amazing-slash-terrible Christmas Netflix (laughs) rom-coms. Yeah, we did the exact same thing last year, Yeah, and we had such a fun time that we're doing three more for this holiday season. Yeah, and we're doing three three movie adaptations for this episode. It's been a lot. We're doing so much, Ian. For, like, five days in a row, we were watching a Christmas movie every night, and it was a lot. we were, like, so tired. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, uh, uh, becoming a patron... Yes, a patron on Patreon helps our podcast... So much, and you get access to, like, so many more episodes of bonus content because Mm -hmm. of it, priority episode suggestions. Uh, You know, you could make it a happy holiday for us and become a patron. Yeah. Uh, Or not. And listen to us talk about the new Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie. (laughs) Yes, the Lindsay Lohan one, (laughs) What Falling for Christmas, is one of the bonus movies (laughs) we're discussing, and there's a lot to talk about. Okay, but let's get back to A Christmas Carol, Ian. This is... The Christmas story, right? Absolutely. Like, this is the defining story for Christmas. And I mean, it's a great story. It is. And I think that's that's why it's endured for so long. Yeah. There's something that really touches you about it. Because, like, yes, it is Christmas related, but not in the capitalistic sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not about, like, the present buying or anything. Or Mm -hmm. it's about, like, just being good to your neighbor. Yeah. And there's also something so sweet about the idea that, like, a wealthy, isolated piece of shit old man, (laughs) white old man, can be made better, but only through supernatural means. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, this, like idea and dream of someone like changing their ways and becoming a good person has not like changed you know we still need the ghosts of uh christmas to come and haunt some rich billionaires like (laughs) come on get on that i always thought it'd be a funny movie for people to try to stage that like in real (laughs) life for like a wealthy man like to try to like fake the like an intervention yes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so there we had so many i mean Adaptations of A Christmas Carol date back so long ago. And even before film, there were stage play adaptations of it. Yep. Radio versions. Yeah. So we kind of had a decision to make in like what adaptations were we going to discuss? Yeah. We knew right away we wanted to do more than one. Yeah. Because this story is so familiar and everybody knows it that I think it would be kind of boring to just discuss one. Yeah. Especially because... I mean, there's a spectrum of them, right? Yeah. And that's what we tried to capture with our choices. So we we picked the 
1938 adaptation. Mm -hmm. Firstly, because it's one of my dad's favorites. So (laughs) Merry Christmas, dad. Uh, And also it's just a very classic, traditional and older adaptation. Like there are, there were like 10 before this one. A lot of, most of them were silent though. But yeah, so many of them, like, I think this is the earliest one that people still watch pretty regularly. Yes. And it is kind of still considered a classic. Mm -hmm. So we wanted the very, a very classic one. Yeah. Then we wanted one that's like kind of classic, but also not at all, which Mm -hmm. is why we chose The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yep. And that'll be great to discuss because there's so many aspects of that that are so faithful to the story, but obviously just with like Kermit the Frog. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, we have Scrooged, which is like a totally different take on this type of story. And we definitely wanted to include one that kind of thought outside the box with this type of storytelling. You know, there aren't that's the interesting thing though is that there aren't that many of those kinds of no adaptations of this story they're mostly pretty faithful mostly yeah are faithful like you have the very famous lines from the original dickens story that appear in each version mm-hmm. and this the same beats and moments i mean nobody's gonna change the structure right yeah you have three ghosts <laughs> like nobody's gonna change that and make it like four ghosts instead right? yeah it's no. too classic it, it's it's perfect and yeah. everyone knows it and, and yeah this one is Scrooge is like riffing off the idea, yeah. but is still faithful to it in a way. We're going to discuss this kind of, we're going to discuss the story beat for beat mm-hmm. and kind of analyze how each movie takes a different direction with it, its own interpretation of it. Uh, Scrooge will probably be the one that we talk about most isolated. Yeah. We'll still like bring it up with each story beat, but it'll probably, because it's a very different movie Mm -hmm. compared to the others and the stories. So yeah, that's generally how we're going to try to approach this episode. Yeah. Hopefully we can keep it organized and keep you on track as well. There's a lot of adaptations. There's a lot of ghosts. There's Scrooge (laughs) learning his lesson, you know. Yeah. Multiple lessons. (laughs) Multiple moments. Many turkeys. Merriment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump into the story, and Mm -hmm. that is with the introduction of our protagonist, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, we're introduced to him at the beginning as, you know, he's your typical greedy old man, right? Yeah. And I love that not only is he super rich, but he's really cheap, right? Yes. You know, he's not like this rich, rich like man yachting off no you know in the caribbean he's not spending his money extravagantly he's a miser yes Mm -hmm. yeah and kind of highlighting because i i do think it's a truth with a lot of people who are wealthy that there's probably like really wealthy that there's maybe something that's like hoarding unhappy about them yeah even if they are spending their money extravagantly it's like there's some kind of Mm -hmm. hole there and so i like just making that so apparent in the story yeah and scrooge you know, generally owns like a money lending office or he does where he owns houses and there's like rents or mortgages. Yeah, the um, he's lending out money. We know I don't know if that's like just the sole business or a part of the business. I don't know. Yeah. We, we never get like a full description, description of mm-hmm. what he does, even in the book. Yeah, uh, I think the what was it? The Muppets version kind of talks more specifically about like mortgages, mortgages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But generally, it's just him loaning money. Yeah. And of course, he has his clerk that works for him who is very overworked and tired. Yes. And then he has his nephew, Fred, who is like his only living family at this point. Fred is just unflappable. He is just <laughs> the face of innocence and goodwill. Christmas cheer. Christmas cheer. <laughs> his early 
early interaction with Scrooge in all versions is always like really good. Just yeah. him being like coming to the office. Yeah, can't be uh, turned off by Scrooge's like nasty <laughs> mm-hmm. demeanor. I love in the 1938 version when Fred comes over and Bob Cratchit, the clerk, is like huddled by this sad fire. <laughs> yes. And then he's like, well, I'll put another coal on, you know, and Bob yeah. puts another coal on and then Scrooge comes in and then there's a part where like Bob is taking the coal <laughs> back out of the fire. <laughs> he's reaching into the fire to get it. God, that was so, I, I love that I love that, that part, moment. yeah. So I want to talk about the book a little bit and how it starts and it has a really iconic first line, right? Yeah. Uh, it starts off with, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatsoever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as the door now. And it continues where Dickens or the narrator (laughs) talks about, what does the expression dead as a doornail mean? And he goes on and on. And then I want to read a little bit more. And he says, the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night, in an easterly wind, upon his own ramparts, than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say, St. Paul's Churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the tone of this is so playful. It is. And it's so meta, right? With the narrator instantly putting himself in here. This is Dickens himself, we are led to believe. It's very playful. It's very much winking at the reader. And I think the reference of Hamlet is really funny. I just love it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the humor is excellent. And I also love this as a beginning because, I mean, this story in general is this really interesting contrast of, like, the human spirit and the Mm -hmm. joyfulness of Christmas time and humanity, but then also, like, death. Yeah. And our inevitable demise and what we want to do with our time on Earth. And kind of, like, the condition of society and things like that. Yeah, it gets really intense, but I think it's important to remember that the book has a very kind of fun tone, especially at the beginning. And it kind of comes in and out throughout the story. Yes. Like the narrator describing things, talking about things. And I do want to read to um, description of Scrooge here in the book. Yeah. Which is just like another paragraph later after what I just read. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge. A wheezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him, he iced his office in the dog days and didn't thought one degree at Christmas. <laughs> I love that like description of him being this covetous old sinner. Yes. And and like nothing even there's no like physical description of him. No. It's just his personality, but the word choice 
is so perfect where you can just envision him so perfectly. Mm-hmm. The writing is just so excellent. It's really good. And this was the first Dickens I've ever, I've not read any Dickens before this. Wow. And, I, and I'm sure like other stories of his are like not as playful mm-hmm. or, you know, can be very dissimilar to this. But this was a very good introduction to yeah. Dickens, I think. For sure. Um, and then like with the 38 version, like we already mentioned that scene with the coal, there's also some scenes at the beginning with um, this ice slide, which there, is mentioned in the book. It is, but like this movie takes ice sliding <laughs> like to a whole new level. It's yeah. like an Olympic sport. There's two other, there's at least one other scene later about this. There's the scene in front of the churchyard yeah. where the, the priest scares the kids away who are ice sliding and then he secretly does a little does, slide. Does a little slide. Yeah, I think this is funny because um, we're actually introduced to Tiny Tim pretty early here. Yeah, which I think is a smart move. It is, and we have Fred interacting with him and his brother Peter and kind of introducing Fred and Tiny Tim before we actually meet Scrooge. And then we also have a scene with Bob throwing snowballs with the kids at Scrooge when he's leaving work later. Yes. And he gets fired. Yeah, this is a addition to this version, which, you know, we haven't watched every version, so I don't know if this is done in other versions or not, but yeah. uh, Bob gets fired by Scrooge in this moment. And like... For the rest of the story at Christmas time, he's like hiding this from his wife. I know. Because he doesn't want to like ruin their Christmas. So it's <laughs> kind of like a point of tension. And I actually like it a mm-hmm. lot. I think it adds a little something to the story. I think so. And also in this version, Fred is engaged and is needing money to get married. Yeah. And is not yet married yet. In the book and in other versions, Fred is already married. Which I, I think, once again, is an idea that I think makes sense because Scrooge I think he even brings up his marriage in the book, right? And yeah. it's like, oh, why? Why did you get married? Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, why are you bringing that up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's engaged, like, why did you get engaged? I think that that makes sense. For sure. I want to talk, at least in the 38 version, though, about uh, Reginald Owen, who mm-hmm. plays Scrooge. And just this depiction of Scrooge. And I think, I think especially the beginning and ending of this movie. Mm-hmm are so funny and the depiction of Scrooge, I think even especially in the beginning is hilarious. Yes. He's really funny and quick, like quick witted. Yeah. In a way that you're like, even though he's being awful, you're like laughing at him constantly. Mm-hmm. Like at one point when he's giving Bob the day off of work, you know? Yeah. And he's kind of giving him a hard time about it. And he's like, eh, don't want to work overtime, eh? Afraid you'll make something of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or at one point he's eating dinner. It's all silent. You're watching from the outside. Mm-hmm. He's getting his money back from dinner and he takes one of the coins and bites it in front of the waiter, like <laughs> testing it to see if it's real. And he's like scowling at the waiter as he does it. And it's just so funny. He's so curmudgeon and mean, mm-hmm. but there's so much humor in it that I really love in this version. For sure. Let's talk about the Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah. So for one thing, this version is also a musical. Yes. So we have this beginning song where we're introduced to Scrooge. I love this because we don't see Scrooge's face for a while. <laughs> yes. We just see his legs and his the back of his coat and mm-hmm. things like that. He's kind of walking through the streets. And we have the typical Muppet chaos, right? We're in London in like the 1800s. <laughs> and we have Michael Caine walking around as Scrooge. And then we also have the vegetables that are singing the to us. The vegetables, I love. I mean, this is just... <laughs> The turkeys are trying to escape the pen. I love that, like, the Muppets just accumulate 
like, I don't know if it's that they just literally have physical puppets on hand yeah. from various things, and they're just like, let's just include let's these. Let's throw these in here. Yeah, hey, we have a lobster. Let's just have a lobster <laughs> out the window. Uh, we have this old witch character. Let's just, it's just this, like, total It's mishmash, its own world. Yes, of characters <laughs> that, like, are totally random, but so funny because of it. Yeah, this... This scene, and I asked, I was like, when did Beauty and the Beast come out? And it was like the same year because this scene of them singing about Scrooge and then him turning around at the end and they all like (laughs) pretend they're not singing about him is very Belle in um, the village in Beauty and the Beast where she's like singing and they're singing about her and then she turns around and they're all like pretend they're not singing. Yeah, it is. It's very coincidental (laughs) in that way. I love the musical element though. Mm -hmm. Also, this version does something else really unique from an adaptation standpoint, Mm -hmm. which is it includes a narrator in the form of Gonzo, who is like playing Charles Dickens. Yes. And then we have Rizzo the Rat, who is the comedic (laughs) relief. Yeah. This is really funny because we actually have a vehicle for the actual lines from the book. Yeah. You know, Gonzo saying the Marleys were dead to begin with. You know what I mean? Like kind of starting out with these classic lines, actually quoting the book in a lot of different cases and having that frame narrative, which seems like a silly Muppet thing, but is actually really faithful to the book. It is. I mean, there are lines that Gonzo says that like stuck with me. And I, Mm -hmm. it was before I'd started reading the book and I'm like, this has to be a book line. Yeah. Like, him being as hard and sharp as Flint. Yes, which is what I just read. As solitary as an oyster. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all those descriptive lines. I'm like, oh, these are so good. (laughs) And there's there's so many moments of like that from Gonzo's point of view. But then, of course, just Gonzo and Rizzo kind of being these invisible spectators, just kind of like following the action and providing a lot of like silly comedic relief. Yeah, which I think is consistent with the tone of the book. Yeah. Even if it seems like it's like a... Uh, concession to like, oh, it's for the kids, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I mean, this is like what's from the actual book. Yes, it's not um, as much Rizzo getting chased by a cat and falling (laughs) into a frozen pond and getting like turned into a popsicle. But like, it's a lot of those performance aspects that were included in this book originally in this short story. Yeah, no, I think it's such an ingenious inclusion that the Muppets like, I think could kind of get away with because of the silliness of Mm -hmm. their setup versus other adaptations. But like in a way, it makes it more faithful. Yeah. Let's talk about Scrooged. Yes. Uh, Boy, where to (laughs) where to begin with this one? Well, his name is Frank and not Scrooge. Frank Cross. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Bill Murray, of course. And he is a TV Station president? Yes, for the IBC. The mm-hmm. movie begins. We've never, oh, I've never seen this before. I've I, seen You've it. seen it before. Mm-hmm. When it begins with like these television promos yes. of like an action movie Christmas Santa. setup. And then. I'm like, is this the best part of this movie? These <laughs> fake don't. TV ads? They're so over the top <laughs> and so silly. Even the, what was it? Uh, the De- Cajun Christmas. With the alligator. Oh, my God. No, I was going to say the Leave it to Beaver parody oh, where yeah. he's like, dad's out chasing beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So it's like really over the top and silly. We're introduced to uh, Frank. I'm probably just going to call him Bill Murray. That's fine. Because he is just Bill Murray. It's just Bill this. Murray. It is. Yeah. And he's the he's like the youngest president of IBC ever. And here's the thing. 
I didn't know at the very beginning of this. I'm like, is he good at his job or bad at his job? It's tough to say, Ian. And they're literally making a TV, a live TV adaptation of A Christmas Carol in this movie that's an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. So, so very it's, meta. It's very confusing. Um, but yeah, they're like talking about running these ads and, you know, Bill Murray wants to make it super edgy and there's all this crazy stuff going on. He's just a dick, right? We see examples of him being a dick, like firing this one yeah, guy. But he's also like really silly in a yeah. way that feels like contradict. Like, I can't tell if anyone's taking him seriously as an asshole mm-hmm. or if they're just like, uh, that's him. Yeah. Like, it's very like Bill Murray's improvisational style, I think, mm-hmm. really confuses what we're supposed to be taking away from the beginning of this story. For sure. Because it's just him ranting like a lunatic, but nobody seems to care. And I think that's a problem in this adaptation is that he's basically the same throughout the whole movie. Yeah. You know, like he's just ranting and crazy the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't really. Where's the progression here? And he starts out ranting and crazy with this like TV advertisement. Yes. Um, He has an assistant, Grace, who has a son, Calvin, who doesn't speak, which is kind of like the Cratchit, uh, Tiny Tim parallels. Mm -hmm. There's also the employee that he fired, Elliot, at the beginning, who is kind of like tied into that, too. Yeah, just in terms of uh, Bill Murray abusing his power within Mm -hmm. the story and not really caring about the people below him. Yeah. Elliot's arc in this story. Oh, my God. I forget the actor who plays Elliot. He was like a stand-up comedian And this was kind of his only real credited role. He's just doing so much acting in this movie, Ian. His voice. (laughs) Like, I'm sure his voice is good for voiceover work. I'm sure it's even funny in Mm stand-up. It does not work in a movie. No. It is so, 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 so much. (laughs) It's like he's three actors putting in three actors level of work into this one voice. I mean, it's impressive how he can, like, go from... (laughs) Kind of up here to down here, like his like crazy speaking <laughs> voice. But I mean, I just like he's not a character. No, he's just a caricature. Like he's supposed to be an example of why Scrooge is a dick. But I'm like, this isn't a this isn't a human. Yeah. Also, like this seems more on you than on Bill Murray. Like <laughs> Bill Murray fires you, but then you're the one who decides to go on this crazy bender. Yeah. And get you know, drunk and, and do all this crazy stuff. It, like, it, come on. Absolute insanity. <laughs> Moving on, right? Yeah, and Scrooge has a brother who oh, yeah. is basically the character of Fred from mm-hmm. the original story that's kind of like a good family member. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, like, the bones of the original story are there, mm-hmm. but a completely different approach to the material. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about Marley and kind of the first haunting that Scrooge experiences in this story. Of course, we know all about how, like, the knocker turns into Marley's (laughs) face, and it starts to unsettle Scrooge, and then he's in his creepy house, and he's suddenly visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, his old business partner who died seven years ago. Yes. And he's here to warn Ebenezer Scrooge, that if he continues on his way in this life, the way he's been acting, he's going to be chained just like he is. I I love this description, this idea. Like Marley says, I wear the chain I forged in life. Yes. That like the bonds of like his own current oppression Mm -hmm. are his own doing. And he mentions like, oh, your chain Scrooge must be so heavy. And yeah, like Scrooge looks at himself like he's like, where is it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I, I love this almost 
mythologizing of it. Yes. I find like super interesting. The book also includes a really interesting kind of unsettling line where Marley is like, I've kind of always been around. I'm always watching you. Because Scrooge is living in Marley's old home. Yeah. Oh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and Marley is like, yeah, no, I've just, I've been around like this whole time watching you. Yeah. I don't know. And he's kind of like, I don't know why I can talk to you now, but you know. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> it's also interesting in the book, um, the timelines of the haunting. So in the book, Marley tells Scrooge that you will be haunted by three spirits over the next three days. Is that the line? I missed that line. Mm -hmm. I knew the timeline was more confused. Because then when he like goes to sleep after Marley leaves, he wakes up and it's like t before when he went to bed. Yes. So yeah. he's like, is it the next day? At one point he thinks, <laughs> is it the afternoon? But it's dark out. Has the sun been blotted out? And <laughs> he's he like literally like in a fever dream. Right. <laughs> yeah. I do like this aspect that he has no idea what time it is, what day it is, anything. But it is kind of confusing, I think, to have it be three separate days. And I don't know if Dickens really gets this point thoroughly across to you. Yeah, that element, like literally the three days line. I knew time was confused, but that line went over my head. Mm -hmm. It does explain, though, why, because this always confused me a little in the adaptations. The next morning when he wakes up and he's like, is it Christmas? You there, boy, what day is it? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, it's been like just a night. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could get why he's confused, but I think that makes it a little clearer. Yes, that it's it to him. It's supposed to have been three days. Yeah, and in the thirty-eight version, uh, Marley tells him you'll be visited by ghosts at one, two, and three o'clock tonight. Yeah. And so, kind of is is making it more specific. And in the Muppets version and in Scrooged, they just are like, "You'll be visited by three spirits." You get it. They'll, yeah. they'll come to you. You don't have to. Don't wait. worry about it. They'll come to you. <laughs> Don't worry about what time. Exactly. Speaking of the Muppets version. Yes. I mean, we have to discuss. Marley and Marley. Marley and Marley, <laughs> which I love the added joke that the brother is Robert Marley, a.k.a. Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> Just a subtle little funny thing. Yeah, we have Statler and uh, Waldorf. Waldorf, Waldorf. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I can't say that. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Waldorf. <laughs> like Waldorf salad. Yes. Uh, yeah, them doing their whole song, Marley and Marley, which yes. is really great. Amazing. So funny. Mm -hmm. uh, and just a really clever way to include both of those characters. Because they're they're one of them would have been perfect, but you have to have both you of them. You have to have both of them. And also it's like a law firm or a business to be called Marley and Marley. Yeah, so just yeah. genius writing. And in the Scrooged version, he's visited by his former boss mm -hmm. who is really, really gross and old. Disgusting. Soup, like a, a rat. A rat crawls out of his skull. <laughs> yeah. There's golf balls in his body. He also holds Bill Murray out the window and his arm starts like breaking. Yeah. And Bill Murray like falls out the window. It's really it's creepy. It's very grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Instead of being like just unsettling and kind of like upsetting for Scrooge in like the idea that his business partner, that he was probably the closest to him yeah. in his life, is being like, listen, I have to warn you. Like, mm -hmm. this shit is not good for me, right? <laughs> like, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. And in the Scrooge version, he's just kind of like, hey, kid, 
Like, I'm just going to fuck with you. Yeah. He's you dressed know? like in golf attire. Yeah. I will say the one part that really cracked me up was when he was he had, he had his back turned and he was making a drink. Yeah. And suddenly gunshots <laughs> ring out and Bill Murray is just shooting, shooting him. him. <laughs> really did i thought that was like very funny um but tonally like i get it's trying to do something different but like to what end i guess other than just being kind of silly and gross Mm -hmm. let's get to the first ghost though yes the ghost of christmas past yes um i have to read the book description yes i (laughs) was not prepared for the book description of this ghost all right here we go it was a strange figure Like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. And the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. Um, I'm going to continue. It talks about its weird cap as well. (laughs) Yes. Even this, though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality. For as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was light one instant, another time was dark. So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with 20 legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which dissolving parts no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever fucking weird like is this one of those creepy angels from the bible that like has like a million eyes i mean kind of that's really interesting to compare it to yeah i mean it's so science fictiony like this it's almost like looking through some kind of like prism yeah where like it's ever shifting and changing and like Mm -hmm. multi-limbed no limbed young (laughs) old kind of just this shimmering glimmering like weird entity Mm -hmm. but fascinating super weird um we have Scrooge going back to his childhood, right? Him yeah. experiencing his old school days and scenes of him at Christmases in his past. And we get to see him as a kid missing out on Christmases with his family. Yeah, I love in the 38 version, they kind of capture this with him talking to a school friend. And he's kind of like, oh, me and my father decided it was better for me to stay and focus yeah. on my studies and blah, blah, blah. And then he's just like alone and crying after. I know. And I just I love that how you both see him being neglected in that version, but also having to be hard. Yes. And having to kind of adapt to like deal with it. Mm-hmm. We have in the 38 version and in the book. Um, his sister coming to get him for Christmas and this kind of positive memory of his sister and then kind of the association with his sister also with his nephew, right? Because his nephew is the only child of his sister who he clearly loved in the past and who has since passed away. I get why other versions left this part out, though, because it's Mm -hmm. weirdly happy, happy and kind of contradicting 
the setup of like, oh, he was left alone at every Christmas. Mm -hmm. But then just his sister shows up and is like, oh, come home. Father's changed out of nowhere for some reason. Maybe he was visited by three ghosts. Well, that's the thing. Like, is that supposed to be the implication? Like, I'm guessing, but I don't know. That seems like a very random thing to include without confirming. I, I just think it kind of distracts from what we're supposed to be feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have uh, Fezziwig, his old boss. Yes. Who was very kind to him as a young apprentice. I think the best versions of this scene are in the book and then in the Muppets version. Yeah. Because in the book, we have this great and long description of the Christmas party that Fezziwig, Fezziwig held for his apprentices and also for just like random people in the neighborhood that they invited, yeah. you know? Um, and then, of course, we have this great scene in The Muppets. Oh, yeah, the party, the band, we get Animal playing the drums. Yeah. It's all so fun. I will say, though, I think The Muppets, not a whole lot, but like similar with adding a narrator, they'll occasionally add an element that I think helps solidify the story a bit. So in this version, Scrooge is a little older, it mm-hmm. seems, and he's talking to to Fozzie Wig, <laughs> Fozzie Bear, yeah, and is like, "I'm concerned about the expenses for this party." Mm-hmm. Kind of already showing how that like miserly mentality is kind of seeping into his personality, right? Yeah, kind of showing, and that's like a, an addition to the Muppets version, right? Mm-hmm. And then it also in this very scene includes him first meeting Belle. Yeah. The young lady who he would kind of form an attachment to later on. Mm-hmm. So just like slightly tweaking this scene in their in that film, yeah. I think kind of ties some loose ends together and kind of just makes this more complete story in a way. Yeah. I meant to mention it earlier when we talked about like the creepy description of the ghost of Christmas past, but like the Muppet version also makes like a creepy version of the ghost of Christmas past. And I'm like, I guess this is sort of book accurate, but I'm upset (laughs) about it. (laughs) I agree. It is unsettling in a way that is not dissimilar from the book. Yeah. However, it is still just like so weird and distracting. Yeah. And, like, if there is one bad part of this whole movie, I think it's just the ghost of Christmas past. Also, that part where she, like, puts her tiny hand on his. <laughs> it looks like just one of those little creepy doll little hands. Little doll hands. Yeah. She's like, just a touch of my cloak will. And he's oh, yeah. like, eh, ew, don't touch me. I don't want to <laughs> just look like a floating doll. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do not love. Every other Muppet design, perfect. Yeah. This one, far from perfect. And then, like you mentioned with Belle, we have scenes with Belle And this is totally cut out of the 1938 version. There's no, you know, subplot with Scrooge, like, leaving his fiance basically, because he gets obsessed with money. Yeah, the 38 version, I want to say, has a generally more happy tone throughout. Like, honestly, the moment Scrooge goes back in time and sees his, like, uh, school, he's like, oh boy! He's he's already changed man. Yes, he's suddenly (laughs) changed, and he's basically changed, like, the rest of the movie, essentially. Like, he's just, like, super happy the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. And so they exclude, like, his relationship with Belle and maybe some other more, like, sad parts, like, later on and kind Mm -hmm. of makes more just, like, a continuously, which I've heard it as a criticism to this version, Yeah, that it avoids some of the more deeper and dour parts of the story mm-hmm. in, in exchange for like a lighter tone. Yeah. But I mean, it's still successful in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the Muppets does include this plot line with Belle. And in fact, there is 
there's this whole scene with him where they kind of break off their engagement. And the Muppets movie, there is this extra song that Belle has. Yeah. That was not in the theatrical version of the Muppets, but was included in some of the VHS and DVD copies. But is not included in the Disney Plus or streaming versions of it. Mm -hmm. But it was supposed to be added like this year, I think. December of 2022 is what I was reading. And I don't know how long ago they announced that. Mm-hmm. Maybe those plans fell through. Maybe it qu- hasn't quite happened yet. But they were supposed to re-add that scene. Yeah. Which I think makes sense because, like, it is a little bit of a jarring cut mm-hmm. near the end of that scene without the song. Yeah, having um, Gonzo and Rizzo kind of crying. Yeah, when it was sad, but it was, like, not that long of a scene or, mm-hmm. like, super sad at that point. So yeah. The book also has... An added scene that no other adaptation includes, which is where Scrooge is able to see his ex-fiance, Belle, married and with kids now. Yeah. And how happy she is. Yeah. And she has a really hot daughter, and they talk about that a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> is this the part that you're like, oh, I could have had this hot daughter? <laughs> oh, she could have been my daughter. <laughs> I mean, they talk about it, like, quite a bit. Um, they do. But it is just to show us, like, and Scrooge looks at this scene of, like, family and domestic bliss, right? And he's like, this could be me. Something I really love about this addition in, you know, the original story, if this story came out today, like it does in Scrooge, because yeah. they rework that story so much that they do include this, mm-hmm. I'm like... This would have been... They get back together. Yes. She would have been back in his life Mm -hmm. and they would have been like reintroduced and maybe reconnected and gotten back together. But I love the melancholy tone of the book, how it's like, it's too late. She got remarried. She got married to somebody else. Yeah. She's having... You missed your chance, dude. Yeah. And like the best thing you can do is to learn a lesson from this. Mm -hmm. But like you're not getting her back. No. But I love that. But I just feel like so many stories wouldn't take it that direction the way, you know, like how Scrooge did. Yeah. Um, Which let's talk about. Scrooge. Yeah, let's We're get here. into it. Yeah. Uh, we have to talk about the ghost of Christmas past, which is a uh, crazy cab driver. <laughs> which I mean, like given the <laughs> setup of this story, I think is a fun take on the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. He's in like a very classic looking cab as well. I don't get like why he's like, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be just like, oh, he's like a dirty cab driver or something. Yeah. But he's kind of like evil. Looking. I know. <laughs> But he's not evil. No, I don't understand a lot of decisions in, like, the costuming (laughs) and, um, like, depictions of the ghosts for this movie. Yeah, it's not just him. It's a lot of things, but. Yeah, but, you know, he's smoking a cigar. He's got, like, elf ears. Yeah. And he looks like he might be a zombie or might just be dead. Like, there's a lot going on here. (laughs) Um, But he takes him back in time to see his sad childhood with his mean dad. Yes. Basically... Frank, I'm just keep keep saying Bill Murray. Yeah, it's Bill just, Murray. Bill Murray grew up with a really shitty absent father. His mother was kind, mm-hmm. but his dad wasn't in the picture. Well, I mean, he was, but he was just like a butcher who worked all the time and was a shit to him when he came back home. Yeah. And it seems like Bill Murray's character as a child was kind of raised on television. Mm-hmm. And this is like a weird subplot slash stance that the movie takes that television is just, like, for brain-dead people mm-hmm. and has nothing of substance to it. Well, and also, like, that Frank slash Bill Murray just, like, based his life around TV. But then that never comes up again. 
No, except like at his rant at the end when he seems to be like, why are you watching TV? Yeah. Like, you should be with your family. Like they're taking this huge stance against television, but I'm like, you're not exactly creating a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not exactly creating like high art here. You know what I mean? Like this is what you're doing. Isn't like leagues above television. Yeah. So I don't know why that's like this whole moral stance that the film is taking. Yeah. I don't quite get it either. Uh, He meets Claire in one of these flashbacks as well, which is like the bell character for him. Uh, This woman that, is the love of his life, essentially. And they seem really happy at the beginning. But then, of course, he puts on a dog costume for a TV show. And that's when it all goes wrong. Also a weird moment, because what he's doing, I'm like, is he doing it like for the kids and that he actually cares about this show? Is he just Just doing his own career, just his own career? Like, what's what exactly is going on here? And also she out of the blue Like, he doesn't want to go to this dinner with her. And she's like, I think we should break up. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) When did this come up? I mean, he is being really mean to her. But it's only in this one scene. Yeah. Like, we've had no, like, indication that, like, because the scene before this was them just, like, really enjoying being together. Yeah. And then the next scene, the only thing is he's like, I don't want to go to this (laughs) dinner. And she's like, I think we should be apart yeah it's weird though because even in the present which we didn't mention earlier like he calls claire right after he's haunted by his old boss and she kind of comes back into his life on this the set of a christmas carol his dynamic with her is just mean the whole time and she's like oh it's so good to see you it's been 15 years and i'm not still mad at you for that thing i broke up with you over and like i'm into you still she is just so starry-eyed and sweet and overly understanding to the and point. And way too into him. To the point of being like, you have some kind of issue here, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, their dynamic just does not make sense. For it's them to not have good. not communicated for 15 years, and then for her to be that invested in him right away, makes no sense. Weird. Uh, yeah, And like, when we first meet her, we haven't met her yet in the past. Mm-hmm. So we're like, what's their deal? What's going on? Why is she so into him? Why is he into her? Yeah. Just does not work on like any level. Yeah. I think we're ready to move on to the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I think in the book, in the 38 version and in the Muppets, The ghost's portrayal and representation is pretty consistent. Very consistent. A large, jolly man, kind of an open gown robe, like exposing his chest. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Big beard. Big beard. The Muppet version, I mean, besides him being a Muppet, (laughs) does something (laughs) different where he's kind of forgetful. Yeah. Almost as if his brain is so scattered within the present moments, like across the world, that mm-hmm. he can't keep his head or thoughts straight, which is kind of a funny addition, but also interesting to include. Yeah, and in the book and in the Muppets version, the ghost of Christmas present throughout the day of Christmas start like gets older and ages. Yeah. The whole mythology of the ghost of Christmas present is interesting because he also makes a mention of... I have 1,800 brothers. Yeah. So, like, one every year, I guess he grows throughout the year and then dies. Or, like, he, I mean, he doesn't start out as a baby, though, so, like. Well, but it's the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, he's not an old man yet, but 
uh, does he grow throughout the entire year? So it's like the end of the year. So he's like an, a full grown adult. Or does he just grow during the one day? Like, does he just or have one day too. to live and he just starts out fully formed? Maybe because he is a ghost of Christmas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's kind of like <laughs> hints about maybe what's going on. But- maybe he starts out young on Christmas Eve. Like, he has Christmas Eve when he's, like, a child. Then Christmas Day, he's an adult, and then... So they don't start working him until Christmas Day. (laughs) They give him his childhood. Yeah, yeah. He has a happy childhood day. I think it's interesting, too, um, in the book and in the 1938 version, we see him with Scrooge kind of throughout the town, and he sprinkles some good cheer among the townsfolk. We see him sprinkling some happy juice on people who are trying to pick a fight in the streets. <laughs> he, he describes it as a liquor five times distilled. Yeah. I think it's a liquor, something five times distilled. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like he he sprinkles it on people and yeah. people are getting in fights and fist fights on the street. <laughs> and he just sprinkles a little and they're like, hey, you know what? Just kidding, man. It's Christmas. It's all good. <laughs> Let's get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love to, um, in the 1938 version, which is very faithful to the book in this part, where we see the Cratchits celebrating Christmas. Yeah. Right? We see them, and they're actually taking their meal to the baker to bake for them. Yeah. Which is an interesting detail, and I don't know if it's because they don't have the proper stove equipment to do that, or if this was pretty common back then that you would take your meals somewhere for them to cook it for you. Well, I imagine back then you'd probably cook things over a fire. Yeah. But something like a bird that you would want to cook in an oven mm-hmm. in an enclosed vessel. Yeah. They probably didn't have an oven like that. And a lot of poor people probably wouldn't have that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lineup outside the bakery where people are cooking their Christmas dinners at the bakery, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I just loved that detail. I found it very interesting. Yeah. The Cratchit family is fucking obsessed with this goose scene. <laughs> <laughs> they are wild these children, about this goose. These children are unhinged. <laughs> They're going to tear that bird limb from limb before it's even cooked. And the pudding, Ian. And the pudding, the flaming pudding. So here's the thing. We are not British. No. And when they talk about a pudding, we have learned from watching the Great British Bake Off that pudding does not mean what like the U.S. people think of pudding. A pudding cup. Yeah. Yeah, no. (laughs) As far as I can tell, it's kind of just a rich cake. Yeah. That's a dessert or almost like any dessert, it seems. But they also describe Dickens specifically talks about how it smells like a laundry. Oh, because of the cloth. Okay. Because remember at one point the kids say like, oh, there goes the cloth, cloth. I think. Yeah. So they lay a cloth over top of it, I Mm -hmm. think, which is maybe what that smell is. Yeah. I'm like, you're describing this in a positive way, but you're like, oh, the smells. Mm. It smells like a laundry. A load of whites. (laughs) Mm. I love how... (laughs) I love how this is easily something we could look up. Yeah, we just have chosen not to. But it being a mystery is, I I like being confused about it. I enjoy, no one in the comments tell me what a pudding is. I don't want to know. I prefer it to be a mystery and for me to be confused about it the rest of my life. And just have the smell of fresh laundry (laughs) as you take a bite, you know? Mm, Yes. I love this. I do think this is really sweet, though, just getting to see this family have this celebration, and you can tell that this is rare for them. Yeah. But it's very special, and they don't usually have food this nice. Mm -hmm. And you can just see how much they care for each other and love each other and see their dynamic. 
Yeah, I it, it is interesting in the 38 version how much time is given to like the food, the preparation, mm-hmm. the different courses, the just how totally off the rails the children are <laughs> over the food. I know. <laughs> uh, it's very funny, but very sweet. And I think, is it the 38 version where Scrooge makes a comment about how meager the meal is? Yes, I think so. Kind of pointing out that why are they so excited about this? It's not that nice. It's mm-hmm. not that much food. But for them, it is. And there's also a great line, too, from the Ghost of Christmas present about the horn of that he sprinkles on people and food. Yeah. I think Scrooge asks, like, oh, would that go well on a meal? And he says, yes, especially a poor one. Mm-hmm. And he says, why a poor one? And he says, because it needs it the most. Yeah. And this idea that the poor get the most out of this time of year, even though they have the least, maybe. Because it's more special. Yeah, and that going out of their way to be kind to each other and to do something nice for themselves just means that much more. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have Tiny Tim here, mm. who is just the cutest and sweetest little boy with a crutch you've ever seen. Although, Adina, be honest, what did you say about the 38 version? <laughs> he did look a little creepy. You called him creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will admit, he's a lot. I wouldn't call him creepy. (laughs) He's just very excited. Maybe I just prefer the Muppets version with little little tiny frog. How can you compare anyone to the time? I don't know what his name is. I don't either. He probably has a name, right? Yeah, we're not Muppet name. Yeah, we're not super familiar with the Muppets, so we don't know all of their. Don't yell at us in the comments. (laughs) We don't know all of their Christian names. <laughs> um, but I love in the Muppets version, he just lets out these little coughs every now and then that are so pathetic and sad, and it's very cool. They kind of depict him as being more sick yeah. than other versions. In other versions, he just seems to need the crutch. Yeah. But seems fine besides that. But in the Muppets version, he does seem actively ill. Yeah. And we have to talk about Kermit and Miss Piggy as Mr. and Mrs. Cratchit. <laughs> I love <laughs> I love that in some versions of Muppet stories, Miss Piggy is just always chasing Kermit, right? Yes. And he's just kind of not overwhelmed and not into it. But then you get like what is almost <laughs> fan fiction stories like the Muppets Christmas Carol where they're married. Yes. And they have children and we get to see them as like a married couple. And they have these weird frog and pig children. <laughs> <laughs> Belinda and Be- Bettina, yes. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I love this that we get to see them as romantic couples that have just been married for years. Yeah. And and just like the way they're little, like Miss Piggy, just her like trying to hog food whenever she can, whenever she gets a moment. (laughs) So funny. Very funny. What else do we have? Oh, we have Fred. Of course, we see Fred and his wife or fiance in Christmas present where Scrooge is able to see his nephew In the book and in the 1938 version, especially, they're just hanging out, playing games. Yeah. They're playing, like, guessing games where Scrooge is kind of the butt of the joke. Yeah, but he's, Scrooge is also very excited by these moments and trying to participate. Mm -hmm. Like, shouting out answers even though he's invisible to everyone. Yeah. God, it kills me, though, in the Muppets version. Like, Scrooge seems very happy by all this. Mm -hmm. And then they're playing the game and he's participating. And then the answer is, like, this terrible, mean thing that they're describing as him. Yeah. Ugh. And he's, like, sad And by the devastation. It. Yeah. I, I do love in the Muppet, I, I described in the 38 version how Scrooge, kind of once he gets, like. Into the past. Into the past, he's just happy the whole time. Mm-hmm. But in 
the Muppets version, Scrooge, has a lot more ups and downs. There's like moments of joy, then moments of sorrow and, yeah. and joy and sorrow. And it's more of a turbulent ride, which I think really works. And I think this moment is good for him to be happy and going along with it and then realizing that he's the butt of the joke. To be reminded. Yeah. Like this is what people think of him. And like, would he want to change that? Right? Yeah. It's really funny because the book has this exact same moment, except Scrooge just doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's like, like, whatever. Oh, I suck. I know. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. totally Okay, fine. and on with the jokes. There's also like this whole game of Lyman's Bluff, which <laughs> seems like the Victorian way to touch some boobs. <laughs> it's just like men putting on blindfolds that they can clearly see out of and trying to chase women. Yes. And then catch them in dark corners. The book keeps describing how his friend keeps chasing the plump sister yeah <laughs> just like trying to corner her yeah like, this is this is all that they have Ian. yes give it to them this okay? is so horny though <laughs> like it's the horniest thing i've ever seen yeah <laughs> uh let's talk about scrooge dan i mean you know for the most part a lot of these beats are the same he goes and sees his assistant grace mm-hmm. her family at christmas which is kind of like bob cratchit's family just not having a lot, but generally very nice, very supportive, fun. Yeah. Feeling uh, sad for Calvin, which is the tiny Tim who doesn't speak. Yes. You know? Yeah. He goes to visit his brother, which is like the fried character. And, you know, once again, they're playing those type of games and he's getting involved, right? Trying to yeah, answer the questions and having fun. But we have to discuss <laughs> the depiction of the ghost of Christmas present, Adina. Oh, my God. What? What is why? this? Why this choice? <laughs> why is she beating him up? I don't know. She's like a fairy, but she's just kicking him in the balls and hitting him with a toaster and uh, slapping him in the face like multiple times. Which I recognize this actress and she is very funny in other things. Yeah. And not that this is like her fault at all, but like, God, it is just not. It's just uh, I. it's just not funny at all. No, I just hate all of it. And it's just so distracting. Mm hmm. It's almost like, hey, this part's getting a little too sincere. Let's have some really just ridiculous slapstick. Yeah, I actually felt like this part was the least effective ghost in terms of like what she showed him, right? Yeah. Because the parts with Grace and her family and then his brother, I didn't feel like we got anything out of that. No. In the past, when he saw himself as a child, it felt like he had a genuine moment. Yeah. Now it just feels like, yeah, no, this I, I would play this game yeah. if I was here. Yeah. Grace's family seems nice enough. Mm-hmm. We also have to mention, I kind of just remember this randomly, he finds that homeless man. Oh, yeah. Frozen dead. Oh, my God. Which we have to talk about the homeless <laughs> shelter to begin with. And that lunch scene. God, yeah, this but, movie is so chaotic. I was say, but the frozen man... This homeless man being dead that he recognizes is supposed to probably be the most emotional moment. Mm -hmm. But also, does he... Does does, he have enough of a relationship with this man? No. And does he really take anything away from this? Because after all of this, he always just seems frazzled after all these encounters. And he doesn't seem changed. He just seems like really worked up. Yeah. And he just saw a dead human being. Well, and also he can't change it, right? It's not like the things that happen where you're like well i can change this right yeah like i it, tiny tim doesn't have to die right That's true it's just like this guy is dead like i could find him and convince him not to go out into the cold maybe but probably not it's probably too late yeah he's not my i don't know him yeah yeah 
Uh, yeah, so this is, I don't know how effective this is. And like that scene, so there's a couple scenes here that we have to talk about. And we, the reason we haven't talked about them is because they don't fit neatly into these categories of the different ghosts. The Scrooge is definitely more, like even though it follows the structure of mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol, it's a lot more all over the place and has a lot of extra scenes that don't neatly fit into either ghost's category. And this isn't just happening in one night like most other versions. Like, he's just going about his day. So we have this crazy scene where he goes to dinner with one of the TV executives and another guy who's, like, joining the production. And he's just hallucinating, right? Which, why? Why is he hallucinating? Why? Yeah, what's why, the point of it? Why that? does he see an eyeball in his water? Why and the does, waiter on fire. And the waiter on fire. Like, what does that even thematically connect with what is... It's just he's crazy. yeah. And that's the whole movie. I hate <laughs> I hate moments like this in films where it's just a person hallucinating and nobody knows why, including the audience. Yeah. Because they're just it's just not interesting. It's just annoying. And I don't know what we get out of this or what he even gets out of this as a character. Yeah. And then we have another scene of him going to visit Claire at the shelter that she runs. And from the moment he decides to go where he's on the set. Of a Christmas Carol that he's making. Yeah. And walking all the way there and getting there, he's just ranting the entire time. And I'm not exaggerating. He's just going off. Like, won't stop shouting and yelling. Yeah. Gets there, starts hanging out with these homeless people, rants to them. They're ranting back. He sees Claire. She's like, what are you doing here? Let's go out. And he's like, rant, 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 rant. And <laughs> yeah. then she's like, oh, um, I just need to take a quick call and then we could go get lunch or something. And he's like, if you can't make time for me right now, I'm going to leave. Well, he starts complaining about the staff that she works with who are volunteers. He's yeah. like, you should just fire all of them. And she tells him they're volunteers. And he says, oh, like nothing is good anymore. I, and he's just going off. For so long, and the entire time, Claire is just like, come on, it's fine. Just yeah. wait for me. Don't go yet. You're he's all just right. He's being such a dick. He's being awful, and she just does not care. No. She doesn't serve any of it back to him or hold him accountable for what he's doing at all. I don't know if this is, like, I read that a lot of this was improvised, right? So I don't know if this was a a, a situation of, Bill Murray improvising, her trying to stick to the script, work with the scene and not knowing how to play off of him in this moment. And then at the end in the edit there, they were like, well, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do. Just do what they did. Yeah. I I don't know how the scene came to be. But once again, just no chemistry between them. And the whole time you're just thinking this guy's a raging idiot and a lunatic. Yep. It's not good. It's not, Ian. You know what else isn't good? The ghost of Christmas yet to be. Yet to come. Yet to come. So, well, <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> or ghost of Christmas future, or you could future. say. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, this is not uh, an exciting figure. And I love that this kind of brings down the mood, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Scrooge has been sort of having a good time. Yeah. With Christmas present, like this jolly old man, very kind of Santa Claus-esque, right? Yes. And now it's like, oh, Literally, and I I love this, in the book, this figure is just described as, like, this hooded figure. All you can see of this person or ghost is the one hand that reaches out. Yeah. And, like, 
He cannot see his face or eyes at no. all. Yeah. Well, obviously the connection, He, uh, the ghost of Christmas Future is described as the thing all men fear. Yeah. And obviously it looks like the, the Grim, Grim Reaper. Reaper. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea. And I also love in the story how throughout the first two ghosts, Scrooge has really already seemed to change. Yes. Right? Yes. And it feels like at this point he's already a fairly changed man. You know, mm-hmm. by the time he sees the, the ghost of Christmas Future, he says... I'll be honest, you scare the shit out of me. Yeah. But I'm going to go with you. I trust you. The other ghosts have shown me important things. I believe you will too. So I'm I gonna... trust there's a lesson to learn in this. Yeah, so he already feels so changed, but yet I love the idea that okay, you you're changed, but we're really going to drive this home now. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. You decide to be shitty again. We're going to really show you what your life is going to be. If you continue on this path. Yeah. And I, I love this. And I think you bringing that up is such a great point because he's already a changed man. Yes. Right? He already wants to do better. He's reminded of his past, the mistakes he's made. He's shown, you know, the people in his life right now that he can make a difference with opportunities for him to yeah. change. And yeah. now it's like, well, what else could I possibly learn? And it's like things are going to get super real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just really driving it home. Yeah. So here we have different scenes, right? We have this scene of like people talking about this guy who was recently died and everyone's like, I'm not going to his funeral, are you? I'm not going to his funeral <laughs> unless lunch is provided. <laughs> <laughs> I love in the Muppets version, they're pigs yes. saying this. It's so funny. Yeah. I think also we have this scene, which is in the Muppets version, and in the book yes. only, where we have these people at this like really poor, shitty section of town where they're selling this dead man stuff. Yes. They they've all gotten their hands on some of his stuff. There's someone who did the laundry, so they mm-hmm. stole some of his like bedding. There's someone who a grave robber, I think, who stole some things off his body, I, yeah. I believe. Well, it's super super creepy, especially in the book. Yeah. Because the book is like this woman is like yeah, he's lying dead on his bed. I take his clothes off him. Yeah, I take the the bed the the bedding. blankets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I take the bedding and the blankets that were on him, and I take his bed curtains. Like, yeah. this man is literally lying freshly dead, and she just plunders his stuff. And how much of a violation this feels. And even though, and I love in this scene how Scrooge like doesn't know that it's him yet. Yeah. But we all know it's him. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Like, everybody knows. Yes. And I think even people that were reading this for the first time probably know it's him, right? There's a great line in the second portion of the book, which I kind of want to read. And this applies to something else when the ghost of Christmas present is around, but I think it applies to this moment more even. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first... For it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it and would unquestionably have done it too. (laughs) Yeah, like Dickens saying that, like, yeah, obviously you and I know Mm -hmm. what's going on. But when you're in that situation, it's different. Yeah. And I think that embodies this moment perfectly. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, you and I reading this and watching it are like, yeah, obviously he's the dead guy. Yeah. But him in that moment, I think because he's at least been aware of himself to some degree and all the other ghosts mm-hmm. thinks he's still probably around somewhere. Yeah. And he's like looking for himself. Yeah. I love that in the book. He talks about, you know, scenes where 
he would usually be. He's like, oh, where am I? You know, and he just doesn't get it. There's also this really interesting scene in the book where uh, it shows this family. I love this. Who's like. Well, well, the lead in is Scrooge (laughs) saying, like, can you please show me something like people being happy or having any emotion, positive emotion about yeah. this man being dead? Because this is really bumming me out. And yeah. so then the the ghost takes him somewhere else. Yep. And it's this family who's like, he's dead. And they're like, oh, God, thank God. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. Like, they're immediately like, oh, I'm so happy he's dead. I'm sorry for thinking that because they have a debt with this man. Yes. And they're like, he's dead. So it'll be like a delay and more time for us to get the money together. And it might go to a different debt collector <laughs> who's nicer because yeah. anyone has to be nicer than this guy was. I love this. I thought it was so great. And I understand why in film adaptations they would cut this scene because suddenly showing us a couple that we've never seen before would probably yeah. be jarring. Mm-hmm. However, it's such a great and funny and ironic example of saying, please show me people who are happy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right. <laughs> uh, we have to mention from the Muppet version, though, that uh, Gonzo and Rizzo decide to sit this part out. <laughs> I love it. They're like, this is too scary. We're going to leave. <laughs> Which is perfect because this is kind of the emotional climax of the story. And I feel as though they would have just been distracting during it. For sure. So this was a great way for them to bow. They even say, we'll see you at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Just a great way for them to bow out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the Muppet version here, Mm -hmm. right? We finally get to the point where the ghost takes him to the grave. Yeah. Points to the grave. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but we have to talk about it here. And that is the performance of Michael Caine. Yes. Amazing. Perfect. I mean, he's literally gone on the record and said, I approached this (laughs) as like it. As if I was doing a production with, like, the Shakespeare company, right? He is playing it so straight, Yeah, right? He was like, I would never wink at the camera. I would never do anything to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that I am acting amongst Muppets. (laughs) Like, he is just going so hard and so dramatic amongst the Muppets. And it works so well, Ian. It's so... And I think it's (laughs) one of the main reasons this version has endured for so long and is a favorite by so many... Because you get the best of both worlds, right? You get the full emotional satisfaction of watching Michael Caine go through this arc... A realistic Scrooge portrayal. Yes, with no irony, and yet all of the humor and joyfulness and playfulness of watching the Muppets play the supporting cast. Yeah. I think this is what gave birth to... It's kind of a social media trending thing where people say, name a movie that you would recast every actor as a Muppet but one person. Yeah. And people will be like, oh, there will be blood with Daniel Day-Lewis as and himself. Then and then Muppets. Muppets, everyone else. <laughs> like, people love weighing in on this. And I think this movie is where that idea began. Yeah, because Michael Caine really is bringing it so hard. And I also read about this that, like, he had to walk on planks because the sets were, like, at different scales and I they think, had yes. they had puppeteers beneath that had to do the muppets so in order for them to oh film scenes God. like in the streets and like on sets michael kane had to walk on these like precarious planks <laughs> and he just does it so well <laughs> i mean is there any better example for the advantage of practical i, I don't want to say special puppetry. effects but puppetry mm-hmm. over cgi than the muppets i know i mean 
they're pieces of felt that are controlled <laughs> by people's hands. Yes. And yet there's emotion and character and humor mm-hmm. and it's just done so well. It really is. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great scene. We have him, you know, in the book, in the 38 version, in the Muppets, coming to his grave at the end, kind of weeping and saying, like, I there has to be a chance for me, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't show this to me unless... I could change, yes. right? You wouldn't just show this to me just to rub it in my face that I'm going to be like doomed forever, yeah. right? I I can change. This has to be real, right? And like that idea that he's like not quite sure, but he's I like, know. please reassure <laughs> me. And he's not getting that reassurance. Um, yeah, I, I love the cold, unemotional mm-hmm. state of the third ghost. Uh, ghost. Just completely unbiased. Just cold, hard facts. Just showing you. Yeah, just Mm -hmm. this is the future. I'm not going to give you anything on this. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention this is maybe my favorite of the ghost Muppets. Yeah. Because he's still creepy, kind of Muppety, kind of funny, but with the long arms, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that perfect balance of like creepy funny and unsettling. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Scrooged now. Yes. Because we have him first getting into the elevator with the prop TV version, Ghost of Christmas Future, which I loved. I thought, I thought this, this was a great moment. This was really funny. He <laughs> says something like, oh, what are you going to do it, pussy? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought that was like a really great moment. Yeah. And it's just like the actor for the TV show that they're yeah. doing. Of course, we get this scene later where Elliot, the guy he fired, who's just been drinking himself into a stupor this whole time. Just on a bender. Shows up with a shotgun at the office. And you know what? I'm going to say it. That's on him. Bill Murray is not responsible for him taking a gun and going to, like, shoot up a TV studio. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, Bill Murray's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, But this does not. I don't think the movie. It just it's playing it for wackiness. Right. Mm -hmm. But obviously that completely takes any kind of seriousness seriousness out of the situation. Yeah. It's just all really weird. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a dangerous moment, but instead it just feels like so wacky and crazy. Yeah. And obviously the actor playing Elliot yeah. is just doing the most he can possibly with his voice at all times. Yeah. It, it, it just, it none of it works. We see some Christmas future visions. Uh, Calvin, Grace's son, who doesn't speak, is trapped in a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> Part. It's like a weird future, dystopian, dystopian yeah, future. Yeah, I'm like, why Why is Grace wearing this, like, Handmaid's Tale outfit? And why is Calvin, I mean, I know he doesn't speak, but yeah. is he really going to be in a psychiatric hospital over this? I know. And then, of course, we see future Claire, who literally looks like Cruella DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're very right. And she just, like, yells at some children because apparently that one conversation where he was mean to her at the homeless shelter now means that she's going to be cynical and cruel forever. It was enough for her. This is very similar to... It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Where he finds out that without being in his wife's life, that yeah. she became like a sad, lonely librarian. Which I object to. I I also <laughs> object to. But that her life would mean nothing without him. Yeah. And similar in this way that, oh, I said one mean thing to her one time and it completely derailed her entire 
morality. Yes. And then we have this scene of his own funeral, which he doesn't realize as he's watching it because it's his brother and his brother's wife. And then it's a coffin and it's going into the flames. And he's being burned alive. Which I kind of like. I'm like, <laughs> let's see him go through a little like existential dread, right? Yeah. The, the fear of death. Being burned alive, right? Fear of God, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't my least favorite part of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's his kind of coming to Jesus moment, which leads us into the conclusion of this story. Yes. The payoff. The payoff. What does Scrooge do with all of these, these visions, right? He wakes up. He's like, oh, my God. It's still Christmas. I haven't missed it. Yeah. Boy. Boy, buy me the, the <laughs> fattest turkey. Yes. I'm, I'm light as a feather. I'm yeah. happy as a school child. And I love in the 38 version when he starts, like, putting his shaving cream on. Yeah. And he's just laughing. Yes. Like, maniacally <laughs> in the mirror as he's, like, slathering his face. And it's so funny. In the book, there's a line of him just, like, laughing till he cried. <laughs> like, He's just so freaked out, yes, right? He's yes. so unsettled. And part of me is thinking, this isn't sustainable. This <laughs> this level that he's reached, he's going to crash. Yeah. I don't know if he'll go back to how he was. This is not, you can't keep going at this rate. <laughs> I, I totally agree. It's very funny. Um, interestingly, in the book, so he does donate money to the poor from those two guys that come and tried to ask for money. Yes. Um, he sends the turkey to Bob Cratchit, but he does not visit Bob Cratchit's family. In fact, he's kind of laughing to himself like it's a prank because he says he'll never know who sent it. Yeah. He'll never think he'll it's He'll never me. guess. <laughs> he instead goes to his nephew Fred's and spends the whole day there with yeah. them. And they play games and it's like a happy time. Um, but then the next day when Bob comes into work and Bob is a few minutes late because he got too drunk the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Had a little bit too much of the punch. <laughs> and the goose. And the goose. And the pudding. <laughs> Had that goose hangover, you know what I mean? Yeah. And this is Scrooge, Scrooge's chance. And I love that he's like really gruff with Bob <laughs> when he first comes in. And he's like, how dare you be late? And then he's like, I'm going to. Raise your salary. <laughs> and Bob is thinking, what? Like yeah. He's like on the verge of bolting out the door because he's so freaked <laughs> out. I will say, though, this does make a little bit of sense because in every other version, when Scrooge just shows up to Bob Cratchit's house, he's kind of just like, I'm here. I'm crazy. I brought food, but I'm inviting <laughs> myself into your Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like. He's being very nice, but also kind of rude in a way. But mm -hmm. I think you're forgiving of it in the films. Yeah, I think I like seeing it in the films. I do, too. Because we get to see the Cratchit celebrating and then Scrooge interacting with Tiny Tim, which I think is very yeah. important to have that moment. And you also get to end it on Christmas Day, too. Exactly. And in the 38 version, we have this scene where, you know, he visits Fred and gives him some presents. And then he goes to the Cratchit house with the turkey and with other yeah. stuff that he's bringing. And this is like one of your dad's favorite scenes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's one of mine, too. It's so funny. The moment Bob opens the door, Scrooge goes, Merry Christmas. And Bob goes, what? <laughs> he's just he's startled and has no idea what's happening. And he's terrified. And Scrooge just like forces Barges his in. way in the door. 
with all this food. Bob is just, but he has no idea what's happening. Yeah. The kids are going nuts. <laughs> and Bob runs into his kitchen and he's like, oh my God, it's Scrooge. He's lost his marbles. And yeah. the wife is like, what? What do you mean? He's like, I don't know. He's just here. He has food. I don't know what's going on. And suddenly they hear the kids shriek from the room. And the wife is like, Bob, the children. <laughs> like, and they think he's like they killing think he's the like children. murdering their children. <laughs> And of course he goes in and sees that Scrooge just bought like a gift for them and they're all excited. And then he runs back into the kitchen and the wife is hiding in the pantry. And she's (laughs) She's like, she's not saving her kids. Is he gone? (laughs) It's just, it's so chaotic, but so funny. I love the idea that Scrooge being in this state, like they're they're concerned about him. They're like, he's got, he's gone off. Yeah. It's not fun at first. It's just terrifying (laughs) almost. And I think that's such a funny way to approach it that I haven't seen in in another adaptation. For sure. Uh, In the Muppets version, we have Michael Caine singing a song. Yeah. You know, throughout the town and he's going about and buying things. Um, We have like a little montage where he goes and gives gifts to his nephew, Fred, and then also uh, gives gifts to his old school teacher and old Fozziewig. Yeah, I love that little detail of seeing them older but still alive. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he goes to the Cratchit house. And this is where we get um, a scene. Is this in the book where Mrs. Cratchit kind of tells Scrooge? No, it's not in the book. No, I mean, she is kind of talking shit about him yeah, in the present when, that's he, true. when he sees her. When they she, do the grudging toast. Yeah, when they begrudgingly do the toast. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, but no, I think it's only in the Muppet version that, <laughs> God, I wish I could remember the line specifically. She threatens, it's it's a playoff something he says where she threatens to, oh, oh, he Scrooge says, I'm going to give you a raise. And uh-huh. I think she's winding up and says, I'm going to raise you off the pavement. <laughs> But I love that she, he arrives and Mrs. Cratchit is like, I've been waiting to go yes. off on you. <laughs> well, and also I love and, and it's similar to the book where he's playing it as a joke at first, where he's yeah. playing it serious and mean mm-hmm. and pretending he hasn't changed yet just to freak Bob out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this is so funny with Miss Piggy. And then, of course, he comes in and we get to see little tiny Tim in there. Yes. And this happy Christmas. Aww. And then, of course, we also have, you know, Gonzo and Rizzo joining back. Yes. Being like, we're back now. And we have this moment where Gonzo is like, and Tiny Tim, who did not die. <laughs> Which is, I think, a lot of people's like one of their favorite lines in this movie. And this may blow your mind, but this is a line straight from the book. Straight from the book. There's a little like paragraph epilogue here about Scrooge changing his ways. Yep. And he's like, and Tiny Tim, who did not die. In not all caps. In all caps. Yes. And then says, like, continues that sentence and says, Scrooge became a second father to him. Yeah. <laughs> I I laughed out loud when I read that. Because the thing is, that line works so well in the Muppets version. Because in so many other adaptations of A Christmas Carol... The fate of Tiny Tim feels kind of ambiguous. Yeah. Where you hope that he will get better, especially with like more money and maybe access to proper nutrition. Yeah, (laughs) things like that. That he'll hopefully get better, but you have no confirmation of it, right? Yeah. So in the Muppets version, it feels like a joke that Gonzo goes out of his way to clarify that Tiny Tim doesn't die. Yeah. Especially because it's like a movie for kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, we want to make sure you know that like this little cute frog doesn't die. Yeah. So it plays like a joke, but in the book, it's exactly exactly that line. Yeah. And that's so funny to me. Very funny. 
Uh, let's talk about the Scrooge version. Oh, boy. I uh, mean, Bill th- Murray comes back from this and Elliot is still like trying to shoot him. Yeah. But oh God, once again, we talked we meant you mentioned early on that by the time Bill Murray has his epiphany by the end, he doesn't feel different. No, he feels manic in a different kind of way, but not like better. Yeah. And he's hugging and pushing Elliot and buddying up to him, but also kind of unintentionally hurting him. Yeah. And they go down to the uh, studio. studio set where they're doing the live production of A Christmas Carol. Elliot holds the entire like lighting film studio room mm-hmm. hostage at gunpoint. Yeah. And Bill Murray steps out onto the stage and proceeds to go on a manic tirade. Yeah. That is incoherent. Talking about why people are watching Chris or TV on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Um, going off about seasons, cheer, blah, 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 goodwill. He takes a moment to kiss a woman who is weirdly horny for him in that yeah. moment. And then, of course, Claire joins in. because She sees the broadcast and it's like a moment with them. Calvin, Grace's son, speaks and says, God bless us, everyone. Yeah. And that's supposed to be an, an important moment. We have to talk about the the censorship woman who throughout the movie has just been getting like the shit kicked out of her. Yeah, just an ongoing joke where she just keeps getting injured. And then she sexually assaults the one like TV executive guy who's tied up right now. Which for some reason we're supposed to hate this guy. Yeah. Just because he's kind of after Bill Murray's job, even though Bill Murray is proving himself to be incompetent at it. She literally sees him tied up tied up, runs over to him because he can't resist and starts making out with him. And like, he can't do anything. And I'm like, this is so disgusting and upsetting to see. Also, just a so weird turn for like her character only existed to get like injured throughout the movie, which I don't think is that funny, but it's it's a it's a gag. Yeah, that's her role. And then for some reason in this moment, she's like, oh, predator. Yeah, I'm (laughs) really horny for some reason right now. And I'm going to assault this man. Yeah. I'm like, where did this aspect come from? I don't know. I just like Bill Murray's going on this tirade and they show people watching this program from bars and homes and they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got a point. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What is he? Yeah, this is crazy. He's just acting like a nut job. Yeah. I just. <sighs> OK, OK, I just. Let's get into it. I, yeah. Adina, look, this isn't the worst movie, OK? There are some funny lines. Bill, yep. Bill Murray does have some funny moments. There mm-hmm. are some funny gags in this. I yet. I hate this movie. It's really, like, mean-spirited. Yes. Like, I feel like it's missing the point of this story. That's why I hate it. Yeah. Why adapt A Christmas Carol, which is one of the most sincere, wholesome, good-natured, optimistic kind of stories, Mm -hmm. especially about Christmas at this time, and just turn it into kind of this cynical, like you said, mean-spirited. Gritty. Gross. Just, uh, just, I, I, I hate it. I hate everything it stands for. I agree. And also a lot of it, and, and Bill Murray being Bill Murray, I think just distracts from the story. And, for sure. And makes it, I don't want to say makes it worse because the movie acts as a vehicle for him to just like improvise and do his thing. And yeah, some of those moments are funny, but it just takes away from the overall story because you can't take any moment of the story sincerely. Yeah. And like we've been saying, he doesn't change. He's the same. Yeah. 
Like, he's mean at the beginning, and he's kind of nice at the end, but it's still the same amount of crazy. Yes. And even at the end when he's being nice, it still feels really weird and selfish and kind of creepy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's not good. Ian. I really didn't like this. And I was not expecting to dislike this movie. I, I figured I'm like, uh, it's kind of a classic yeah. Christmas movie and a Bill Murray movie and it'll be fine. But mm-hmm. I was really shocked by how much I disliked this movie. And, you know, neither of us is a big fan of the National Lampoon Christmas movie either. Yeah. But at least that movie is doing its own thing. Like, yeah, it's being kind of cynical and mm-hmm. kind of mean, but also that's, I mean, it's a National Lampoon movie and it's doing its own thing. This movie is adapting Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Well, and something I wanted to bring up and talk about is Dickens himself. And like, you haven't read other Dickens, but Charles Dickens really writes about class, right? Yeah. He has a lot to say about the poor mm-hmm. and how the poor are treated, specifically in England at the time. But shockingly, this stuff is still relevant because we have this huge economic divide between the super wealthy and the people who are really struggling, right? And he went through a lot in his life where his family was actually sent to debtor's prison because wow. of their debts. And he had to work as a child in basically a factory. Oh my God. Because to support his family and like couldn't go to school. And it really had this like effect on him. And he writes a lot about class and the poor and really takes it up as a cause, right? And he wrote this novella with an agenda. He was yeah. literally like, I want people to know what it's like for the poor in England. Yeah. And to show somebody like, learning their lesson, you know what I mean? And trying to illustrate that. And so I think how pure this message is, is still so relevant, right? And that's why we still adapt it. And that's why we still care about this story because it is so important. Yeah, I mean, the book is filled with like so many, even just little moments. I remember one, and I I think I got the context of this or I remember it right, but I think Scrooge is thinking about the fact that a lot of businesses are closed on Sundays, even though that really hurts poor people who yeah. might need to buy things on Sunday and mm-hmm. can't like need things day to day. Yeah. And the ghost of Christmas present says something along the lines of hold men accountable to their own deeds and not whether they say they do it for us or God mm-hmm. or anyone. And just this idea of like, don't let people get away with shit because they say it's like for religious purposes or anything. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Like, hell yeah. I'm really into that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, like, there are adaptations that understand that. Yeah. And then there are adaptations that don't get that. And then in addition to the message of the story, there's also the humor and the tone, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're getting into why I love the Muppets so much, right? (laughs) Yes. Because it just carries that humor and that tone. And it's not afraid to make it its own with Muppet characters and with making it a musical, but it still really, you know, carries the tone and also the message of the original story. It feels like we're very naturally going into the, I guess, what would be the list of our, yeah, our, our, rankings. Level of, our rankings of the movies and the book. Mm-hmm. Is Muppets Christmas Carol at the top? Yes. <laughs> I think it is. For sure. I mean, it it has all the heart of the story added humor with the Muppets, Mm -hmm. an amazing performance by Michael Caine. 
I mean, except honestly, the only bad thing is the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. The only the only drawback of the whole movie is that <laughs> is that one effect. Um. So that one, then the thirty eight. Yeah. And then Scrooge at the bottom. Yeah. For where, sure. Where does the book fall into place? I'm going to say the book is the best. Re- at the very top. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say the book is the best for me um, because, you know, it's short, which for Dickens <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. <laughs> it's funny. It's witty. It's interesting. Um, it does what it sets out to do and it does it well. I mean, I have like no fault with this novella it's, in any way i think you might have convinced me because <laughs> i mean i was really between the muppets christmas carol and the book i agree with the movie rankings right but yeah. like between the muppet and the muppet adaptation and the book mm-hmm. it was really close for me but the book does include a lot of additional funny moments interesting little insights mm-hmm. a slightly more expanded story and like you said, just like so much good humor and just such a good message yeah. that still resonates today, obviously, because there's only been like a hundred adaptations of it. <laughs> and I mean, the impact is so strong, mm-hmm. right? Like this culturally is so significant and it's amazing. I think it's a really great piece of literature and I'm so happy that we have it. Yes, me too. Should we do a uh, lightning round? Yes. Uh, please let us know where your rankings oh, are yes. of uh, different Christmas Carol adaptations. If you've read the book and if you haven't, definitely read it. Like it is like a hundred pages. It is very it's short. So short. Yeah. And and very just readable. Very good. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth your time. I'd say. All right. Let's do the lightning. Let's round. do lightning. So first, my lightning round. I have to read the descriptions of the shops and the food in this book. Yeah. In Christmas present. I'm like, what are you doing, Dickens? Like, I just have to read some of it. I'm going to skip around a little bit, okay? So, the uh, poulterer's shop were still half open, and the fruiterers were radiant in their glory. They were great round, pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen, lolling at the doors, and tumbling out into the street in their apoplectic opulence. They were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions, shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars, and winking from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by, and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. And then I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. It was not alone that the scales descending on the counter made a merry sound, or that the twine and roller parted company so briskly, or that the canisters were rattled up and down like juggling tricks, or even at the blended scents of tea and coffee were so grateful to the nose, or even that the raisins were so plentiful and rare, the almonds so extremely white, the sticks of cinnamon so long and straight, the other spices so delicious, the candied fruits so caked and spotted with molten sugar as to make the coldest lookers-on feel faint and subsequently bilious. Nor was it that the figs were moist and pulpy, or that the French plums blushed in modest tartness from their highly decorated boxes. I'm like, <laughs> why are you making the food sexy? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was either really hungry or really horny when he wrote that. <laughs> Probably both. Both, maybe? <laughs> I just love it. Um, maybe I should read this part next. So there was another thing I read that in the Muppet version... He has one descriptive line in the book where he describes something like an old lobster in a dark basement. 
And people are like, what is that? But in the Muppet version, out of one of the basement windows is a lobster character, (laughs) I guess, is is a nod to that line. Um, Speaking of horny, though, there is a line, him describing Fred's wife. (laughs) He says, she was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed. (laughs) I'm like... That is somehow the dirtiest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> a ripe little mouth. Ugh. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we love it. And yet we love it. <laughs> um, next for lightning round, I just want to mention a couple things from Scrooge the movie. One is that the censorship woman and Bill Murray have this debate about these dancers that are in this Christmas Carol's TV special that have these low-cut and skimpy dresses. And you can literally see their nipples. Like the very top of them. She's arguing with him about having the nipples. And there's some workmen nearby that are (laughs) like, I don't don't see any of them nipples. He says, you can hardly see them nipples. (laughs) (laughs) There's another part in the movie, and this is one of the flashbacks where he's happy with Claire. And they're giving each other Christmas gifts, right? Yeah. And he gives her a set of knives. And I swear to God, Ian, this woman is faking how happy she is so well that he got the, her knives. She's yes. like, oh, my God, I love them. But I'm like, no woman would be excited about getting a set of knives for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, she got him the Kama Sutra, the sexiest gift of all, the Kama Sutra. Yeah. Oh uh, God, yeah. Uh, for my final lightning, I wanted to mention in the book Jacob Marley scene. Mm-hmm. Couple interesting details. So in the thirty-eight version, when we watched it, and in fact, I think a lot of versions, he has like a bandage or a cloth tied around his head. Yeah. Which I'm like, is that an illness thing? Did he die with that wrapped around his head mm-hmm. or something along those lines? Well, it's described in the book, and then in the book, he removes the bandage, and his jaw just flops down onto his chest. Yeah. Like, just hanging off like of his head. it was head. holding his jaw up. Yeah. Ugh. For some reason. I don't know why exactly. Like, why has he, he maintained all of his other body part functions, but for some reason, his jaw is just It's loose. the first to go, Ian. I guess. <laughs> Um, but secondly, another I thought this was like a really interesting detail that I also haven't seen in another version. But when Jacob Marley leaves in the book, he goes out the window mm-hmm. like he traditionally does, except when Scrooge follows and looks out the window after him. It's like a parade of ghosts mm-hmm. going down the street, like, like haunting. Like, the uh, town. Yes, they're all like haunting and just and like moaning. wandering and moaning. And yeah, it's just like really creepy. And you're like, are these ghosts always there? Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I mm-hmm. love that detail. There's just like so many kind of like mythology elements to this story that are hinted at mm-hmm. or kind of leave you wondering the function of some things. But For I re- sure. I really love it. So that's the end of Lightning Round and the end of this episode. We did it, Ian. We did A Christmas Carol, the book. We did three A Christmas Carol adaptations. Two of them were good. One of them sucked. (laughs) (laughs) We hope that you enjoyed this. Go out and watch this movie, these movies, read this book. It's so great. Uh, Let us know if you have a favorite uh, Christmas Carol adaptation that we didn't talk about. Let us know your thoughts on the ones we did discuss. We just want to hear from you. Um, And again, our Patreon bonus episode is coming out. If you want to listen to that, just become a patron at any level. 
on our Patreon. And if you'd like to engage with us online, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then you can email us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com. And if you can't become a Patreon patron, then uh, <laughs> leaving us a star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts is also extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And like Adina said, go to coveredacredits.com to find a multitude of ways to contact us and just let us know what you thought of the episode. Yeah. Happy holidays. Yes. We hope that you have some great time with family and friends, however you celebrate, and some time off work. And yeah, we will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.